the, the KP dinner is just asking you to not think about your future self hmm. or your successful self or your any of that. It, it's sort of music at a table. It's because music's always asking you to go somewhere else, right? And to be somewhere else for a moment, to be in the lyrics or something. And that dinner is meant to do that. It's meant to, to put you right in the present. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Watar. This is John Hears. This is the How to Make Sense of Crazy Time podcast. Why are we talking about rabbits where we use theology, I don't know, medicine today and all kinds of different stuff to make sense of the world around us. Try to give some context using our work overseas. Today, a special conversation at our new restaurant, Capy in Greenville. That's right. Right in the restaurant, we talk about health, we talk about medicine, and we talk about the supra, the Capy dinner that we throw as a type of healing with Dr. James Mohabali, a Chinese medicine expert. I can't wait to present this to you. I don't know if you'll like it, but I know I sure did. And I appreciate it. You can also find this exact same get-together over at Classic of Difficulties. That's his podcast, along with a whole series of beautiful podcasts to health in the tradition of Chinese medicine. So next up on Watar, a conversation with Dr. James Mohabali. So one thing that um, you mention about first things um, pretty often is that the aid that First Things offers is obviously in large part for the community that it offers it to, but that there's kind of a dual, there's a mutual benefit there, that the aid workers are also kind of extracting some kind of healing and kind of some kind of transformation through the process of working with the communities. Um, Can you tell me more about like what, because I've never never done aid work, I've never been to Sierra Leone, Can you tell me more from personal experience, from working with your your field workers, what that transformation looks like and what what these people are experiencing that you're hoping for when you send these, you know, often 20-somethings into the, you know, the field? Yeah, this is great. I'm glad to answer this question. So, again, if the premise is, is we're always in relationship, whether it be with our father, whoever, mothers, whatever, the people around us. Whenever you try to assist someone, the assistance should be known to the assister. Mm -hmm. In other words, the people who are helping should be aware that they're giving assistance. But it's a weird thing to imagine that you're not being assisted as well. Mm -hmm. It's a weird thing to imagine, which we have. It's the colonial mindset Mm. that, oh, if only they were this way, then they would be happier. Right. Just in life. The real question is, is don't you need something? (laughs) Isn't that why you're in this relationship? Didn't you, Mr. State Department guy who got on a plane to go help the poor people in Sierra Leone, don't you need something? Mm -hmm. And if you're cynical enough to say, yeah, I I need my salary so that I can, if that's what you think you're in it for, I'm sad about that. Mm. Because isn't there something spiritual, psychological, something more profound, something poetic about what you're after? Come on. 
Isn't there? And then we just say, yeah, of course there is. Of course there is. What I'm trying to become is humble enough to actually learn about my weaknesses. That's why I'm there. That's why I went to go put on this two years in the, in, in, in the jungle or wherever you go, mm-hmm. Appalachia, wherever. I went because I know I need something, but we don't, it's, we don't beat around the bush about it. We go, oh, what are you looking for? And then what happens is, is if you're aware of that's why you're there, and this is really important. This is why I'm glad you asked this question. Mm-hmm. If you're aware of why you're really there, profoundly, profoundly really there, mm-hmm. or if at least you're there to try to find out, then what happens is, is you don't leave. Here's what I mean. Right. We, in the Peace Corps model that we do, you're placed for two years in a place that's difficult. If you think you went there to help the poor people, if that's really why you got on the plane, or that's why you got on the bus to go to Appalachia, I'm going to tell you what happens when you meet poor people. They're not that interesting. They're sort of like you without money. Right. They're not, you're going to, trust me, you wake up in three months and go, why did I come here again? Mm-hmm. This dude won't listen. These women keep telling me one thing and then they don't show up. Then this chief is super corrupt. Why am I here? I don't even like these people. This will happen. It will happen. It will happen. Mm-hmm. But if you actually went there to become humble, that's why you're on board, then guess what? They're all there for your mission. Right. That's why they're there, so that you can actually say, okay, I can't stand this person, but I'm here to help so that I might become more aware, able to speak a foreign language, able to be humble. How about this? Able to start a project with people who really want it. Mm -hmm. If you're just there to help the poor people, that's not going to work because it's actually not in alignment with reality. That's not what anybody does. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Even the most spiritually profound people in the world, you know, even they are aware that they are there in that place to give this assistance because they want to please God. They even know this. Right. There's nobody that doesn't know this. And so why are we acting like we're not there for that? I don't get it. It's yeah. just the question is, what do you, which thing is your extraction? What are you extracting? And if you're there to extract public policy from them so that they can become better and then made in your image, I, that's bad. Right. That's really bad. Yeah, that, that um, really echoes something that um, my teacher, Jeffrey Yuen, says about uh, physician burnout, essentially, that um, if, you, if you think that you're there to help people, if you think, or not help people, if you think that you're there to achieve a specific outcome in their lives, you will burn out immediately. Whereas if you think of it as the opposite, like I hung up my shingle so that I could come in and have patients teach me about what it means to be human. I could have all of the struggles, all of the suffering kind of come through in like this beautiful stream. And I could, by trying to serve them, I could kind of polish myself. I could become somebody who understands suffering and knows suffering and who ultimately, um, you know, is a, is a better person in a lot of ways. But I guess one thing that I wonder about with your field workers is are many of them, um, it, it seems like in order to sign up for such a thing, in order to have the presence of mind to not just say, I want to help Africa in general, um, but say, I want to achieve humility that it seems like a lot of them would have to be kind of in a position of crisis or at least question in their own lives before they come. But guess what, James, this is what's happening in our world, right? It's happening all the time. We get people calling up all the time and you hear right away. You hear two types of people. 
Mm-hmm. One is they want to go help the poor people. Right. They've been studying development or something. Poor they're, they're nice people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you get the other person who doesn't quite know why they want to go. And they're on the verge of saying, because I can't live with my family anymore. They're, I'm going to break down. Right. I love these people. Now, they're also very, very unstable. In other words, they're good people, but you don't always know what you're going to get. Right. But when you land in some of the places where we work, the, the edges of the instability, the highs and the lows, they tend to get cut off. Okay. Those people tend to do well because it's so foreign and all the things that have all the things that have been problematic here in this culture, they go away mm-hmm. in this weird way where they become actually more stable sometimes in these very difficult situations. It's very odd. Interesting. You take a really stable person here and you drop them, say, in Mozambique where we work, they get upside down fast. Okay. And so there, there's this, again, a royal path between these two people. You don't want, you know, the guy who's doing an underwriting for insurance, he could be a really good person in the field, but you got to watch out. But the person who's, you know, out of control and I'm just running from something, we call them push-pull factors. Hmm. There's someone going because they just want to get pushed. They're ill in a certain way and they want the healing to take place overseas in some faraway location. Mm-hmm. Those cats also, you have to watch out. You have to know that they, they, they bring their own problems too. But, but generally, we, there are, James, people are hurting. It, it's not just COVID. It's the whole, it's the whole end of something mm-hmm. in our culture. The, really, it's the end of consumerism. Really, it's the end of the m- modern materialistic worldview. That end, for better or worse, I'm not arguing whether it's good or bad. That end is making people think deeply, even when you don't think they are. Mm. It's bubbling up. And so we're getting people in that vein, in that spirit, who are like, I, I need to do something. Right. And I love those people. So organizationally, like one thing uh, in Chinese culture is that the, the doctors, the um, are the people that actually did the poorest on the imperial exam because they are, they're only expected to manage one person at a time. <laughs> so all I have to do is manage a single person at a time wow. and kind of figure out to them. But organizationally, I mean, how do you how do you reconcile this profound individual development with having a functioning organization? <sighs> Come on, James. <laughs> This is something that's a challenge right now, right. to be perfectly honest. Because uh, I don't claim to be a libertarian, because I'm not. But there's a certain type of libertarian attitude in our work, which is, you're going to be here. I'm not going to know. No one's really going to know, because you're going to be out in this very faraway place. Mm-hmm. The people that are going to know are going to be the people you're working with. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to check in on you. So you're very free to operate toward the development of small projects that really help people, or toward going over and finding some dude who's, you know, moving cocaine and hanging out with that guy. Has that, that happened? That has not happened. That has happened in Peace Corps, which we, a lot of the stuff we borrow from is Peace Corps. I was in the Peace Corps. That's how my whole crazy life got started. But, but and I love Peace Corps, but you know, we can talk about that, but maybe not in this podcast. But here's the thing, that type of freedom, you know, Dostoevsky writes about, it. he's my favorite. He doesn't say this, but I'll say it. Freedom's a...
<laughs> can I say that? Freedom is one of the hardest things that can happen to you. Right. And so how you handle it in, in, in our work, it's a really good question. So then when that person's out there institutionally, how do we make sense of their individuality? How do we make sense of their freedom? What should we do vis-a-vis -vis them? Well, not much. Hmm. In, in many ways, the, the beauty of the organization is in the freedom of the field worker. But we've taken people out because there's this fine line institutionally for us. If you're not building relationships and breaking them, you have to go. Hmm. We can tell, but usually it's a little late, you know. If you've ruined two relationships with two chiefs in two different villages who really were solid people, you got to go. Mm. And so what's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the metric? Bad relationships. I keep getting these calls. When I visited you, I've realized that no one likes you. So right. relationship is the actual goal of the organization, to be good at it. Okay. Do you know people good at making relationships? I didn't know any until I met you. <laughs> <laughs> and now you. I know plenty. <laughs> So tell me, I know um, a lot of what's being talked about nowadays is uh, cultural appropriation, colonialism, um, and anti-colonial attitudes, um, which it seems like you're somewhat anti-colonial in truth. Um, but how, how can you be an aid organization aiming to heal a community that... Oh, ourselves. Yeah, but I mean, how, how do you offer aid? How do you, how do you go up to somebody who's, or a community that's sick right. in some way without being colonial? How do you? Yeah. So this is the model. Thank you for asking. And this, again, comes out of the KP. So number one, we don't go with a project. Okay. So let's sign you up. James, go date Sierra Leone December 1st. You're not taking a project with you. You're taking a training in consultation. Okay. So we're showing you the steps that you're going to take. And here's the first one, is when you get there, don't do anything hmm. except for learn the language and then show up at Modibo's lumber shop. Now, Modibo is a local guy. He could be a Georgian. Show up at David's lumber shop. Mm -hmm. You're like, what's that? That's your immersion ship. You're going to go. Now, David is not an American. He doesn't speak English. He's, he's probably doing lumber in a way that nobody does anymore. But you're going to go spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with him all morning. Mm -hmm. And you're going to work for him, whatever he says, for free. And then Thursday and Friday, you're going to go spend three to four hours, hopefully, with your language teacher. Okay. Weekends are yours. Maybe we do a second immersion ship, depending on how much time you have. And you do that for, for three months in Appalachia, six months overseas. Mm -hmm. And so what are you doing? Are you helping David? But not really. You're not very good at lumber. Well, here's what you are doing is you are getting hammered in terms of your ego. Because mm -hmm. you're a well-educated doctor. You're a well-educated, you know, graduate from Columbia University. Now, you're helping a local guy do his wood, and he doesn't even do it very well. Your job is not to tell him, like, you should really change the way your job is just to do the thing he tells you. Mm -hmm. To acquire the humility, but also to do one other thing is to get so deeply embedded in local culture that you can begin to see what we call impresarios. So this is now the work. So I'll finish. I won't go on and on. But after six months, eight months, you should be able to see the community you're in in a way where the people who have the enzyme, the energy for 
appropriate change for change based on the community, not based on me, mm -hmm. those people should start to raise their heads high enough for you to see. You should be able to see them in the cultural milieu. Mm -hmm. We call them impresarios. They're everywhere. You're not just capitalists. They're, you know, think creatively. Mm -hmm. And when you identify them, sometimes they can't read, especially in some of the places where we work. Sometimes they haven't gone to school. Sometimes their project seems weird to you. Mm. We've got a project in Guatemala, I'll tell you, but it's awesome. It's an older woman who said, you know what? I want to teach all these Mayan girls what they're losing, all of the beauty of their Mayan traditions. And she said, the thing is, is they're all on this thing called YouTube. -y. Can you help me? So guess what our project is with her? She's awesome. Our project is we started and are helping her create a YouTube channel to help her do the advertising, the marketing, and she markets to all the Mayans in her village and uh, in surrounding villages about what it is to be a Mayan woman. Wow. That's our project. <laughs> Someone's like, that's not right. What are that? What are that? They need school. No. She told us what Tomasita told us what she needed. Why did we decide? Why would we decide for her what she needs? Mm -hmm. I don't really understand that. So how do we avoid the colonial mindset is by being so quiet for so long, six to eight months, that what happens is, is you start to see reality. And when you see reality, you see local people who want change for themselves. And then you become their helper person, mm -hmm. their consultant. Because they don't, there's roadblocks. There's legal, often legal roadblocks. And all you're trying to do is remove them one by one until finally their hands can, get, can grip that thing they've been after, which is this project that will change their lives. You just move them for them. Mm -hmm. You don't go with your own project. That's why in the aid world, everyone asks all the time, you do water? <laughs> it, this is a question people out there if they know the aid world they know oh so you're uh you're a diaper guy you do baby stuff no okay oh you must be schools you do schools no i don't do schools right uh you're an infrastructure guy no well what are you well we got a wholesale but a b project we got a school project we got Thomasita's cultural awareness project we're like, well i don't get what you do honeybee project <laughs> and then they're like well how do you know what to do right so, but do you see the KP in this? It's first, let's, let's, let's just be together. First, let's just share this, in, this, this vulnerable, intimate moment where I'm a foreigner who can't even speak your language. Let me be that person for a while. And then out of the table comes all the joy. Then you start to see immediately what people want and what people need. That's the goal. So one more question about the organization, and then we'll get back to the, sure. the KP event. Um, it seems that in a lot of communities, um, particularly like you work in Appalachia, for example, mm -hmm. and Appalachia is um, known for being somewhat insular and somewhat oh, recalcitrant to change. Yes. Appalachians generally want to stay Appalachian and don't really want other people to interfere with that. 100%. So uh, in the clinic, you know, we, we work with a similar thing where there are patients that um, they, they don't really want to change. They don't really want what you have to offer. And I'm, I'm wondering how you deal with that response. Like say that you're doing Tomasita's project and someone else in the community thinks that it's a total waste of time and you should get out. Uh, how do you, how do you manage that situation? How do you deal with these Can people? Can I ask you first, how do you do it? They're laying on your table. Well, the, the fortunate thing is that people that don't want my help usually won't pay me for very long. Um, they because go away on their own. Yeah, I mean, because it's a, it's a reasonably expensive service. I mean, it's not, acupuncture is not free. Um, there was a time when 
I worked with the VA and uh, some of the patients there. They were getting it. All the patients there were getting it for free. Mm -hmm. And so there was a bit of a different tone there. So there was a time that I did struggle a little bit with um, having people on my table that really didn't want to hear anything that I had to say. But uh, for the most part, it's kind of self-selecting. Um, it's the same. Okay. So uh, our work always starts with an invite from a partner. Okay. So someone on the ground there. Sometimes they're foreign-minded. So you got to realize, as everybody knows, the American cultural mindset, like American culture, is diffuse. It's all over the world. You, mm -hmm. you can find plenty of Sierra Leoneans that are Americans in mind, mm -hmm. in culture. So sometimes those are the cats that invite us. And so I won't say where. Well, I will say where. It was in Central America. We were invited by a really good group of nuns. They're beautiful. But by the time we left, they just like didn't get what we were doing. Why? Because they have a certain way of approaching problems in communities. Mm -hmm. They're top down. They're understood as we know what the problem is and we're going to fix the problem by reorienting the people who have the problems. Mm -hmm. That's not a terrible model. It's the Western model, right? So when we go where we go, the people who think that way and they tend to be Western-minded, you have to understand it's the way of the West. When we meet those people, they tend to be in government and they tend to be in education mm -hmm. because they're using Western-style government right. models and Western-style education models. Right. And what they tend to do is dismiss us as not very helpful, okay. which may be true. Who embraces us? The really local people, usually the witch doctory people, mm. the Taoist weird Chinese medicine-y people, the people who have like this really unique Catholicism in like Central America. The people who tend to embrace us are the people who are already inclined. And then the big government meeting, they quickly see, oh, these guys aren't really wealthy and they really don't have a plan for the next eight years. Mm. And so they tend to self-select us out and we tend to self-select them out. And so where we're not wanted, this is a, another beautiful thing about freedom. Where you're not wanted, why? no problem. Want to mm -hmm. have dinner? Where I'm not wanted, I'm going to go and have dinner. And if they don't want to have dinner, then I won't even go do that. Right. And then we're done. What's the problem? If you're trying to change people, though, because they're really needed, if that's your mojo, then you ain't leaving. Right. In fact, that's where you're going to go because they need it the most. Right. <laughs> Which for me, for like a doctor, would be at some point you must let the patient go, right? Because yeah. they don't want to do it. And I think, um, I think that this whole... I mean, the shape of your organization is very, uh, very, the paradigm of your organization very much represents kind of, uh, the Western medical mindset is, mm. you know, very, very colonial, especially when it comes to impoverished people. You know, they go in there, they want to work on everyone's blood sugar, they want to work on everyone's heart disease. And, you know, you, you look at these communities and they don't, uh, it's not what they prioritize. You know, it's not, it's not the thing that they're interested in. Um, they're, and that's not the way that they think about their own bodies. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. very, um, you know, statistically driven. It's very white collar. It's saying, oh, these are the risk factors. We need to address the risk factors. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, it's importing an idea. So, you know, it's, it seems like a, a great parallel that your organization is very um, individualized, you know, in its, in its, it's healing tricky. approach. So let me, returning to the KP, um, the question that I have come here to is, our restaurant, come to our restaurant, come to the restaurant. <laughs> it's not open yet, but it will be. Soon. Actually don't no. Yeah. Don't come I here right now. Back. 
come come to the restaurant later. <laughs> One thing that um, I experienced at m- my first KP in particular was that I and I grew up as a as a modern person. I grew up pretty much isolated. You know, I all my friends were just my friends on instant messenger. I did not have any sense of community. I wouldn't know what to do with friends if I had them. Did you have a nice front lawn? <laughs> I did, but it wasn't my responsibility. No, of right. We had these wonderful Hondurans that came and did yes. it. Right. I get it. Totally. Yep. Uh, Very modern. So. Good job. So I go to this Capey and, you know, I, I had already had a lot of framework laid down by being at St. John's and kind of the, the, uh, philosophical discussions happening around a table that happened at St. John's College, you know, shout out to St. John's. Um, but there was some profound healing that happened for me as an individual, you know, when I participated in a KP where like I realized that, you know, people were, for something and the the interaction that we have was like you know somehow really really essential to me in a way that i'd never experienced before so i'm that's that's my little story but i'm wondering like what what do you think happens to the individuals in a kp what kind of healing do you think happens what like what do people bring in yeah that you see them kind of leave behind especially if you have people that attend a KP like multiple times, like how do you see them grow and change as an individual? I think fundamentally for one night they have the dinner with their family that they hadn't had for 20 years. Mm. And this time it's a family of uniquely diverse people who are saying things for the first time that they've always wanted to say to their mom and dad. Let me put it this way. If you think about what we do to young people mm-hmm. in our families in modern, the West, what's the number one conversation you remember? This is the one I remember. What are you gonna become when you grow up? All right. And so, even when we had dinners, that was the conversation. It was mm-hmm. always about out there, what you're gonna become out there. And then you get out there, right? And you have already, already been somebody this whole time. And at the KB table, they're just inviting you back to who you already were. Modern world demands so much of future thought. Mm-hmm. It asks you to think about the future all the time. So basically, if you just, the, the KP dinner is just asking you to not think about your future self mm-hmm. or your successful self. Or you're any of that. It, it's sort of music at a table. It's because music's always asking you to go somewhere else, right? And to be somewhere else for a moment, to be in the lyrics or something. And that dinner is meant to do that. It's meant to, to put you right in the present. I'll give you, I'll give you what, what I mean. The fifth toast is generally to the dead. Mm. Now, think about that for a second. You're actually doing a toast, a toast celebration to those who have died before you. But what it really is, if you if you stand there, which you did, it's really a conversation about your present. What am I right now? What's the point of all this? It's a, it's a deep, profound moment where you have to reflect on death. And so you reflect on something right now. It's not meant for you to reflect on your own doom. It's meant for you to ask like, wow, what am I right now? What What is this thing that I am? And who am I as per what? 
these other people were. And so everything is drawing you into this moment where you're just supposed to be in really present, which is why I think like I saw an ad the other day, like all it like just, just one of those public service numbers. He goes, have dinner with your family. Why not? Hmm. It was just like, that was the commercial. Then if you think about a, a society that has to remind people to have dinner with their family, it's pretty nuts. Right. And I think what the KP is, is yeah, you're just not with your family. But what happens is, is, oh, oh, human, humankind is my family. Right. You are my brother, man. Like, that's how it works. Right. So now we're going to break bread and have wine together. I think that's what at the center of it is. Everybody wants that. See, wherever we work till you see it, everybody eats together, you know, that's how it works. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the ancestors toast is one that I wanted to bring up in particular, but then, um, one of the other things that I personally experienced was in some of the toasts, um, there's a toast in particular, the chase with, oh, yeah, yeah. uh, it's, it's a, it's particularly, uh, well received usually because it's the chase is about, I guess the chase between, you know, a man and a woman, romance. Or, you know, romance. It's about, it's about kind of the early stages of Single. courtship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think <laughs> in particular, there's a lot of everybody always seems to have some regrettable stories about courtship. Yes. <laughs> everybody <laughs> has always done something that indeed they, Not they me, maybe though. didn't. <laughs> didn't think through properly as they were doing it. And, no. you know, there's, uh, there's a way that dragging up this, you know, once you're married, you don't think about your courtship anymore. Once you're married, it's like, you know, it, it's, isn't that sad? It's weird. Right. I mean, you've, the, the trophy is won. You know, you've, yeah, right, right. The right. mission's accomplished and now have kids and whatever, whatever. It's a medical term. <laughs> trophy is won. But, uh, you know, for me, and I think for a lot of people, I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of healing happen at the KP table around these things that we don't talk about anymore. Whether that's uh, the chase, or whether that's that you know uh, one particular toast I made to you know my my friend from fourth grade, Danny Goldstein. Danny, if you're out there, I don't know what Danny. to say. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, I remember that toast. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I hadn't thought about, I hadn't thought about those events. I hadn't thought about that person. It's, I mean, I don't, I don't go through my way in my day thinking about fourth grade or in the ways I was traumatized in fourth grade. Right, but, right, right. you know, here we are a couple, couple drinks deep and here I am telling a bunch of strangers that I'd never met before that day about, that. Yeah. about Danny Goldstein. So, I mean, is that, is that something that, is like part of the KP in your opinion? Is that, is that like the, the essence of the KP that this right. individual like has this transformation that allows them to share these? For sure. Okay. So if you were in Georgia and you asked that question, yeah. without the, th there's a lot of Freudian context to, to our world mm -hmm. in, the, in the modern West. In Georgia, they would never say that's what it's for. Interesting. But it's what happens. Right now, and also, if you're in Georgia, what happens is, as you guys know, is they already feel more familial. They feel closer to one another, and part of the reason is because of that 
dinner. They've already outed themselves over the last 20 years. There's always a vulnerability in that dinner. There's always like a willingness to open up. Right. And so it's, it, it's in the culture. In our culture, we don't have that. We tend to go to a psychotherapist where it's a one-on-one. Right. And then you're supposed to go out and work out your salvation, basically, with other people through the conversation that you bring back in the public. Well, the table is the psychotherapy moment. Right. Right. Now, for a lot of people, that's scary. And I get why that's scary. And the good Tamadal won't make it scary. But I think that's what the transformation you're speaking of, your Danny Toast. Yeah. Was suddenly you like sharing with your therapist, right. your brothers and sisters at the table, something profound. It's happened to me. It happens. I, there's a toast that I never thought I would give, and it was to my father. Well, it wasn't to my father. It was the toast of, to the dead. My my father has passed. He's fallen asleep. And uh, it was about what happened to me when I dressed, in our tradition, we dressed the dead with frankincense and oil and say prayers over a naked person. Mm-hmm. And it's my dad. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that happened to me was this came out of me. I'll never forget when it first did. And it came out with a lot of tears. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to share something that I didn't know I was really trying to share, which was the transformation that his dead, his dead body had on me. What it did, it gave me peace with him. Because we were at odds sometimes. But mm-hmm. I was at peace suddenly. Because I was able to do for him something he couldn't do for himself. Usually that was the father relationship, right? He took over everything that I was, I'll do the garbage. Oh, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right, right? That Mm -hmm. kind of father thing. Well, now I was doing for him something he couldn't say, no, no, don't do that. I got to do it. And there was like a profound moment when I realized that I've become like a father now. I was doing the things I needed from my father. It was a joy, but it was in death and it came out through the toast. I didn't fully understand it until the toast. So yeah, man. So, but, but you got to watch out. You don't set it up that way. Right. So, I mean, one you thing. Go there for, you wouldn't go there to get. You wouldn't be like, what I really need right now is a good capy toast so that I can get this psychological problem out of my head. Right. You can. Yeah, I would get nervous about that. Right. That would be like somebody going, gone with FTF, you know, just to get, exactly. just to get pushed. Exactly. Um, so, one thing about the comparison to psychotherapy. Um, is that I wonder if that would have come up in psychotherapy. I wonder if, if you would have, it would have even occurred to you that that was a transformative moment that you needed to talk about or whether the fact that that came up at the KB table was a product of the table itself. You know, like I, I don't, I like I said, that. I'm never going to I get that go to therapy and talk about fourth grade. It's just not, I mean, it's just one of the years. Right. It's not that important. I don't think that much interesting happened, right. Right. but somehow like, the the motion of the table really kind of went there and brought me there as well. So this goes back to what we said earlier. The Supra in Georgia has been curated. Right. This is the coolest part. Where, like in evolutionary history, you know, or like, um, you know, the history of rocks, it's been squeezed so much, so profoundly cured throughout all this millennium that the question, that the themes on the table they're so perfectly sort of formed mm. culturally that you're always going to be invited to Danny, even though it wasn't about Danny. You're right. always going to be invited to the to the theme that 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 matters because the themes placed on the table are so rich. Mm-hmm. 
Like I have a really good friend, he's French, which will help explain what happened. But he and his buddy, who they're really cool people, they took it, the, the Supra, and they did a whole different set of toasts hmm. because they wanted to modernize it. Right. And they changed the interactions. And they gave, like, everyone got to be the Tamada. And they just, they tried to, they tried to change the hierarchy of it all. Right. And I went to one of those dinners, and it was super fascinating, but it wasn't a Supra. Right. It was different. Um, it was much more individualized. And so I think that reduces the opportunity to actually learn more. Because when you change the hierarchy of it all, I think what happens is it changes the focus. It puts it on the person. It's really not on the person. Mm -hmm. It was for you for a moment, but that wasn't, it was to the theme. Right. It was to the theme. It wasn't about Danny. You were actually talking about the theme. I think it was friendship. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's this, this ties into something that I, I struggle with a lot, you know, in the clinic of, uh, like we have, when you're first learning about acupuncture, like there's, there's, it seems like there's so many different treatments, you know, there's just like, oh, I could use this channel or I could use this channel. And then like, once you're in the clinic, it kind of starts, you realize everybody kind of has like the same problems. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. your own, you know, everybody needs like a that, Renmai treatment. Which is wild. Everybody needs a, you know, and you're using the same points, different people. And at first it feels like disingenuous and a little lazy, to be honest, like right, right. that, this is how you like, I just gave that treatment earlier today. Like I'm going to do it again. But you know, it's, it seems to speak to the notion that like, there's not, I mean, there's only so many ways that people go off and like, there's, there's only so many things that we struggle with. We we find that with wealth and poverty. So poverty in Sierra Leone and Mozambique looks like poverty in Appalachia. It's right. Primarily it's about variations on isolation. Right. And variations on pride. Right. Meaning, I'm going to do it the way I do it. And isolation is a big one. And then the suffering of the wealthy looks the same in Africa as it does in Naples, Florida. They suffer in the same way. They suffer mm-hmm. from, primarily it's acedia. It's a type of like, what's the, what's the point? Of, I have everything and now what's the point? And mm-hmm. it's a profound nihilism. And the suffering looks the same. Mm-hmm. And it's, then you start to realize, oh, what we should be studying is suffering. How does it work? What does it look like? And I think that fits in with, with Chinese medicine, I think. Absolutely, yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll start to wrap up here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That was James Mohobali and John Hears talking about the KP and everything to do with the KP and the Supra. And obviously, you can learn more about that at our location in Greenville due to open early 2022. Uh, if you want the full episode of this interview, you can head over to Classic of Difficulties. You can find that on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget, as well, tomorrow, Saturday, FTF is having a benefit concert in Naples, Florida, and we will be live streaming that event from 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on our Facebook page. That's First Things Foundation on Facebook. Catch the live stream starting at 5. Thank you for your support, everybody. Drop a like. Share Watar with friends and family, and leave us a review if you'd be so kind. This is Andrew saying goodbye, hasta luego, das vidanya, and peace out from Russia.